had not been here in Virginia too long. I bet it was less than two months when, let's see, there was an earthquake. And then there was smoke that filled the skies and, and found out that the great dismal swamp was on fire. And then there was the remnants of a hurricane that all that all could happen in one week at the end of August 2011. A couple of months after that, I remember this made national news. A young autistic child named Robbie was lost somewhere in the woods. I believe it was in Hanover County and thousands of volunteers came out searching for him. And that's what happens when occasionally someone is lost in the woods and search parties form and go looking for them while their family waits at home anxiously. And, and probably most of the time they find the person like they did Robbie and his family. Of course, they were just so filled with joy. But occasionally those there's those times where the person's remains are found. And it's sad. So you are a member of God's search and rescue team. While we're all on the team, many Christians have never been on a search before. What if you were lost and no one came looking for you? One member of the team said, you know, it was awfully cold and snowy out, so I I just stayed and I prayed for you. And another member of the team said, I didn't want to imply that you were lost because you might feel embarrassed. And someone else on the team said, it might appear judgmental if I said that you were lost, you know, because everybody has their own path that they're on. Right. So we're all on this team, God's search and rescue team. So how do we do the job? Let's look at one passage at the end of James chapter five. We we worked our way verse by verse through the book of James and really I'm finishing James Verse by verse today, in two weeks, I'm going to do a, uh, a summary of the whole entire book. But technically, we're finishing the book of James verse by verse today. So let's read our text, James five nineteen to 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So three main points I want to make from this passage. The first being professing Christians stray from the truth doctrinally and morally. Professing Christians stray from the truth doctrinally and morally, verse 19. The context of this passage, you always have to interpret within the context. And the context is James is writing to this particular church and to the believers in in giving them instructions on praying for needs. That God wants to heal physical needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs. And, And this is obviously a spiritual need, sin. 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another. So one another, right? Fellow Christians. He also says in this passage, who are among you. Again, believers are being mentioned here. But James writes, they've wandered from the truth. They were once in the truth and they've wandered away from it. Away from the truth. So again, that says to me that they were a believer. They are a believer. 
Verse 20 says, whoever brings back a sinner back implies that they were once in a former position, in a different position, and they need to be brought back to their original place. They need to come back to God. This Christian has strayed either doctrinally or morally. Doctrinally, maybe their faith is in deconstruction. They're deconstructing their faith. They once had a strong faith. And it's normal to have doubts about your faith and to wrestle with things that you're not sure of. But uh, the person that's faith is deconstructed is a person who doubts have won. Example in Scripture, one of many examples of, of a doctrinal strain from faith is in 2 Timothy 2, 16 to 18. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved, swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. So whether it's usually doctrines that centered around the Trinitarian God, the nature of God and Jesus Christ, who he is, his virgin birth, his death, burial and resurrection, And his second coming, those major doctrines that they no longer believe that truth about God and Christ. But more than likely, they've strayed away from the truth morally. Example, James 3.14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. The one who's wandered away morally usually rationalizes their sin. And say things like, well, God knows me. God's okay with it. The wondering one is in trouble. What they're doing is a big deal. Verse 20 shows the seriousness that you would save their soul from death. Death being spiritual death. If it was just physical death, wouldn't he say save their body from death? But he says save their soul from death. Second Peter two twenty to twenty two. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. We have an example in Hebrews 10, 26 to 29. For if we go on sinning deliberately, After receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the son of God? And has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. Revelation 2, 4 and 5 says, but I have this against you. This is Jesus speaking. 
that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. So there's the way to come back. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So we need to truly understand and grasp the seriousness of the wayward Christian, the wayward believer in Christ who strayed away from the gospel of truth and seek to restore that brother or sister. Here's a second point. It is the responsibility of all believers. It's the responsibility of all believers. We see that in verses 19 and 20. James uses phrases such as my brothers. Someone brings him back. Whoever brings back, right? It it doesn't say the pastor is the one who brings them back. The elders are the ones who brings them back. It's the responsibility of every Christian. Galatians 6, 1 says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too. Be tempted. So this, you could be a relatively young Christian and the same responsibility is on you. Thirdly, the goal is restoration. Verses 19 and 20. Now, this work can be difficult and disheartening because things don't always turn out the way we would like them to. We, we go and we plead and, and the person doesn't repent or come back to Christ. When there is restoration, man, that feels so great. I mean, you you just feel so elated and joyful. So let me highlight three aims or goals underneath this idea of restoring them back to truth. The first is restoration of truth. Why, Why am I doing this ministry? Because I want to see this person come back to truth. Verse 19. The sinning person is strayed from the truth of God's word. We believe that God's word is authoritative for our lives. It was inspired by God himself, a moral and holy God who exists, given to his authors to pen his very words. It's authoritative. It's God's word. That implies absolutes. Truth versus falsehood. That means that there are behaviors that are wrong, which is not a popular idea in our culture. The postmodern culture rejects absolute truth. You hear things like, well, that might be true for you, but it's not true for me. Right? Don't be judgmental. Truth is relative, not absolute. It's judgmental of you to say, I'm wrong. Don't judge me. But the Bible is clear. There is truth and there are lies. You operate in the truth of God's word. And so you go to that person and beg them to come back to truth that they may be restored in their right relationship with God. B, you do this ministry of restoration to save their soul from death. Verse 20. As I said before, I don't think death here is used as physical death. First Corinthians 1130 is an example of those who are abusing the Lord's Supper and they are warned of physical death. First John five sixteen says there is a sin unto death, 
I believe those two passages are referencing physical death. But we know that God doesn't take the life of every sinning believer or every time you commit a sin, you're not killed. So spiritual death is implied here in James 1:15. James says sin brings forth death, spiritual death. Spiritual death is defined in the Bible as separation from God. James uses the word save three times in his letter and all three times it has to deal with spiritual salvation. But let's say this person who wandered away wasn't even a believer. They're just a professor of Christ. But even then, by going to them and and restoring them, bringing them back, you may have saved their soul from death and hell. And that's wonderful to rescue someone from a burning house is great to rescue someone from a burning hell is much greater. And then the sea under this work of restoration is to cover a multitude of sins. That's what this work does. Covers sins. Peter says the same thing in first Peter four, eight. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. The psalmist David, in this case, Psalm 32, one, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. When I repent of my sin and turn from it and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, he forgives my sins. But if the Christian persists in sinning and rejects the call to repentance, I can't give them assurance of forgiveness. I can't say it's OK. All is well with you. The Bible never gives that comfort to the unrepentant person. I think of this word cover two ways. The first is undercover. Okay, you're going not broadcasting their sin abroad to everyone. You're going as a friend to them silently, maybe even secretly to woo and win them back to Christ. And then, of course, the second way I think of this is Christ's blood covers All sin, their sin, Christ's blood makes their sin invisible. It's covered. It's as if they've never sinned. And that's the wonder of salvation and the wonder of repenting of sin and getting right with God to have your sins forgiven. It's such a great place to be. And that's where we want to be. Let me give some final instructions on how we carry this ministry out. Under number one, who should go? You. Every believer is called to this ministry. Go when you are aware of a brother or sister in Christ who's sinning and you have a relationship with them. You're obligated to go. Jesus said this to Matthew 18, 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go And tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you. So you're expanding the search and rescue mission to involve a few others. That every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile And a tax collector. Okay. Secondly, get the facts. 
Skip the facts. Don't, don't go by hearsay or gossip. Someone comes to you and tells you about a brother or sister, maybe a mutual friend is sinning. Ask them, have you personally checked this out yourself? Have you investigated this? Is this fact or just fiction that somebody is making up about somebody? Then direct that person to go to the sinning person without telling everybody else. All right. Now, if it's you that's going to go, go to that person without bringing a bunch of accusations. First, ask questions to determine truth. Is it a moral sin that they're committing? Is it a doctrinal sin that they're committing? Now, you're not going to this person to tell them, you know, you've got a lot of strange ways and a lot of idiosyncrasies that I don't like. It has nothing to do with that, right? This is sin that the Bible clearly identifies as sin. Thirdly, check your motives. Why am I going? No room to be judgmental, thinking that you're superior to this person. Be humble. First Corinthians ten, twelve says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he falls. You're not there to put them in their place. You're there to help restore them back to a place in good standing with God. Galatians 6, 3 is a great passage that gives us some more instruction. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So the spiritual one should go. The person exhibiting the fruit of the spirit, the person who's walking with God. Go in a spirit of humility and gentleness. You're engaging in soul surgery. So be kind. Now is not the time to wave around your big spiritual sword, chopping off limbs. Instead, you're bearing their burden. You're expending your time and energy to help them. Not just pointing out where they're wrong, where they're sinning, but helping them to come back to God and to overcome that sin. And then the fourth kind of practical thing for doing the job is pray before you go. Have you prayed for them beforehand? Are you depending on the ministry and the leading of the Holy Spirit as you go to give you the right words and to lead you in that conversation that you need to have? I would say don't go unless you're prayed up. Only then can you go and minister to them effectively. The work of restoring a sinning brother or sister can be unpleasant and difficult and hard to do, but it has great potential for real joy. Think about the joy in heaven when someone repents. Luke 15, 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. How about joy in the heart? 3 John 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So I ask myself this question. Do I really love God enough to obey his word and go to that person? Do I really love that person enough, care about their soul enough 
that I would go to them and confront them in their sin. And do I need to repent today? Maybe I'm not where I need to be in my relationship with God. Maybe I've drifted away and I need to come back to him today. So use today, use this time right now for it to be a good spiritual work in your soul as I close this in prayer. Lord, I don't know everybody's situation or friendships that they know somebody right now that they need to go to. I pray that you're putting that on their heart. They're just feeling that tug of the Holy Spirit right now. Maybe a name or a face comes to mind that it's like, yes, I I need to go do this. Lord, give them the strength to do this, to do that wonderful ministry of restoration. Or, Lord, perhaps it's. One of us here this morning, someone here is drifted away. They've wandered away from the truth and they're just here maybe out of obligation, but they don't feel it in their heart. Lord, I pray that you would restore them that right now they would confess sin, repent of it, turn from it and turn to you and experience that wonderful forgiveness that the blood of Christ covers all sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of all sin, every unrighteousness, and will remember it against us no more. To walk in that freedom of being forgiven is such a good place to be. I pray that no one walks out of here today with that burden of guilt and shame for sin, but, but walks out forgiven and restored again. Thank you, Lord, for your word that challenges us to keep our priorities straight. The first things first, our walk with you, honoring you and glorifying you in every area of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?